0: I'm Katherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Katherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and uh, doctor of education, Rebecca Rowland. Uh, her new book is The Art of Talking with Children The, the Simple Keys to Nurturing Kindness, Creativity, and Confidence in Kids. Science has shown that the best way to help our kids become independent, confident, kind, empathetic, and happy is by talking with them. Yet so often parents, educators, and caregivers are at a loss and have trouble communicating with kids. Conversations can feel trivial or strained or worse are marked by constant conflict. Rebecca Rowland, faculty member at Harvard Medical School and language specialist in the Neurology Department of Children's Hospital Boston, shares an invaluable guide that provides readers with evidence-based tools and techniques to communicate more effectively with children, helping them foster relationships with less conflict and more joy and kindness. She frequently consults with organizations working to design powerful learning experiences for kids and adults, including the World Bank. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on Rebecca. Thank you it's great to be here. Okay communicating with kids a difficult topic it shouldn't be difficult I guess we think gosh we should be able to communicate with our kids but many parents can't. I guess the first question is why have we evolved into that I mean since two or three generations ago I think wasn't the mantra children should be seen but not heard and we're saying they should be heard (laughs) also yes. Yes.
1: Exactly. Uh, Yes. We often forget about the side of um, actually hearing from kids. Uh, We don't realize we sort of talk at kids oftentimes rather than what I call talking with kids. So which is really making time for those silences and for hearing from kids. And actually research is showing that it's that back and forth, not just the talking, but really the listening too that actually supports children's language skills and that builds their kindness and their creativity and empathy
0: yeah I think one of the important things you talk about as well as creating empathy and kindness and all of those kinds of characters the other piece is uh, at least that I'm relating to I think that's really important now given the context of everything that's happening in our world uh, that it's an antidote to stress and disconnection and uh, that's what I, I I'd like to kind of hone in on that because kids are really being exposed to whether it's the war in the Ukraine or COVID, uh, the politics, all of those kinds of things. And I'm assuming they need or want to talk about those things, Those and that some parents have a lot of difficulty being able to make that kind of a connection with their kids.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So it's really such a hard time, I think, for parents and kids these days. There's so much stress on all of us. And especially with the pandemic. And with the war in Ukraine, there's so many factors. It's kind of creating a perfect storm where kids have a lot that they want to talk about and process, and parents also have a lot on their plates. So this can often lead to, if we're not very thoughtful or sort of, um, you know, if we're not um, a little bit more intentional about it, this can really lead to patterns of stress and disconnection where kids feel they're not being heard, parents feel they're not being heard, and this kind of gets worse over time.
0: So, what do we do about that? Because I think uh, are these topics that some parents would con- consider toxic, and and of course, in this day and age, kids have access to all of this information twenty four seven. Even if we think that they don't, and that we you know put some uh, restrictions on what they see and what they do, but they talk to other kids, so it's always out there. I mean, do you find that parents, young parents, older parents have? difficulty or don't know how to handle those topics, and and, and obviously your book gives ways in which to be able to do this, Um, other parents may have no difficulty and like discussing those kinds of topics with their kids.
1: Exactly. Yes, I do find, I mean, some parents certainly do like discussing these topics, but I find that sort of broadly speaking, many parents I see are either uncomfortable with it um, or they fear, you know, what will they say, what will their kids say? Um, there's a lot of anxiety around, um, you know, kids potentially saying the wrong thing or even parents not knowing whether they'll say the right thing. And we oftentimes think that, you know, kids will figure it out on their own. But the issue is that kids are really creating their pictures of the world and their narratives of the world all the time. And if we don't have these discussions with them, we're kind of leaving them to create their own pictures of the world, which may be sort of radically (laughs) incorrect, um, which may be more dangerous than they need to be. Um, and which really leaves them feeling kind of at loose ends and not with someone to help them process and shape their narrative. So my book really offers strategies to help them um, make these narratives coherent and actually to relate parent and child or caregiver and child much more.
0: Well, let's start with uh, two and what kids start talking at. Well, they start talking at different ages, right? But let's say what's the Mm. average age that that a child starts to talk and starts to communicate? And has yeah, some kind well, of, yeah.
1: it's interesting because I, yeah, I talk yeah. about. I mean, communication. I really argue starts from birth. So even at six weeks old, children are using eye gaze to communicate with their caregiver. So it's really we don't often think about talking, you know, in that broad sense. We think about well, when our first words, which can be, I'd say, around a year old, first words come. Babbling is before that. Um, but I really like to emphasize that communication happens at all ages with all kids. So whether it's pointing, gesturing, eye gaze. Um, And that's why this in-person communication is so important because we can use all of those senses to talk with kids.
0: So it's actually the parents who may, or the caregiver, may be using the right words, but the the uh, the baby, the newborn, uh, from the very beginning is communicating, like you say, with their eyes and the, and the noises and responding and babbling and, um, and I find it interesting. I mean, this may sound—I don't know what it sounds like, whether it's sexist or what—but when I watch mothers with babies, they seem to, or women, I should say, not necessarily mm-hmm. the mother, but there's sort of an innate way of expressing themselves that they will talk to the baby and the baby's not talking, but they'll be talking to them. i I see sometimes with male care caregivers, they're not quite as able to do that kind of connecting. Is that something that that um, is just something that I'm observing, or is there something to that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a complicated question,
1: right, because there is sort yeah. of the interplay of the biological side, of the mother potentially having had the baby, so having more of that physical connection. But I'd also emphasize that there's so much cultural messaging around kind of what it means to be a good mother versus a good father. Um, and a lot of times we tell fathers, whether implicitly or explicitly, that, you know, they should do more of this active play with kids, and, you know, it's not as important to talk with them. Um, and so, you know, we oftentimes this mixture and interplay of the biological side, but also these cultural messages. Um, But it's really important for both genders um, and anyone who interacts with kids to do this kind of um, talking.
0: So rich talk, you talk about rich talk. That's what we we should be doing. Should we describe rich talk? What exactly is it? And what is it at each stage? You know, it's different for, as you say, for a a baby or for a six-year-old or a 10-year-old. How does that work?
1: Yeah, so really, Rich Talk is a way of building not just a child's vocabulary, but all of these other skills in children. So, empathy, creativity, independence, Um, and really what it is, is I define it as three main principles. So, A is adaptive, meaning that you're really going with the flow of your child. So, that involves mood. Uh, You know, if your child is in a talkative mood, you go with that. It involves temperament. So, if they're very active, you meet them where they are and so on. Um, There are two others, so B and C. I think about the ABCs of Rich Talk. Um, B is the back and forth. So we think about Rich Talk as being active listening as well as active speaking, and from both sides. So the child needs to be listening and speaking, as does the caregiver. And C as the child-driven principle. So kids really um, benefit from the caregiver or the parent sitting with them, being fully present, And really focusing on what the child is interested in or concerned about in that particular moment. So this is really getting away from that kind of scripted parenting book where, you know, say this, don't say that. And really focusing on the uniqueness of the relationship between the caregiver and the child.
0: Uh, Uniqueness—that's key—and the caregiver and the child. I see a lot of uh, uh, be spending a lot of time in New York City. I see a lot of caregivers, nannies, et cetera, who aren't doing too much of what you're the ABCs of what you're talking about, but. Um, let's start with the A because the temperament, I mean, that's something you have to, you can't be running and racing and on your own cell phone and halfway to work and, and, and trying to accomplish five different things at once when your child has something to say. And usually they want to say it at the, you know, when they're sitting in the backseat of the car, they'll ask you or want to <laughs> talk about the most, uh, you know, important conversation they could have and it, and you don't have time for it. So being aware of their, mood and their temperament important, but how do you do it as an active parent? What do you do? Because sometimes you aren't in the right situation to be able to do that. Postpone it, um, talk about, maybe we can talk about this later. How do you handle that?
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I definitely understand that. So I've written this book really from the perspective of kind of wearing three hats. from so the mom of two kids who are now five and ten. And I'm also a clinician and a researcher. So what I really tried to do in my book is to make strategies that were not just research-based but were really doable and achievable as a busy parent Um, because I know, um, having been there myself, that there isn't always time for these kinds of conversations. And I think one really important thing to keep in mind is that parents shouldn't feel that this is another thing to do or another pressure onto their already busy lives. What it really is is just to remind parents that we can take opportunities several times a day to have these kind of meaningful conversations or rich talk with kids, Um, that it doesn't require a lot of time. It doesn't require an advanced degree. Um, So I told a a story in the book about how um, a parent and child were racing out the door, and they were very upset at each other, and they were frustrated and flustered, Um, and the child kind of ended up in tears in the car because they were all so exhausted, um, and the mom actually turned to the child at one point and said, well, what things would you bring if we were in a submarine as they were driving? Um, and the child actually started laughing and started to kind of imaginatively think about all of these things that she might bring. And I use that as an example to really show how, you know, you don't have to be talking about philosophy with a child. <laughs> you can use these simple and quick strategies to shift the dynamic between you, even in times that you might be rushed
0: I, I think that's critical, and I think it, that gets us, leads us into the second. You say the back and forth, active listening. You really do have to listen. I think sometimes the uh, kids ask you questions, they they want to talk to you, and I know that in, in my case, as a mother and a grandmother of kids, uh, twins, four-year-old and six-year-olds, uh, two twins, a set of twins, four and a uh, older oh, brother wow. who's six. <laughs> yeah, and so that's a big challenge, and they're all very <laughs> different, different personalities, fraternal twins, but... Uh, and it's interesting that the six-year-old, this was last year when he was five, Asking, he was explaining something to me and he was concerned about something. And I wanted to give him the answer to it. It was like the opposite. It was not a good, I was not doing it the right way. This was on the B that you mentioned. I listened and then I wanted to give him, you know, the solutions. And he was the one who said to me, I don't want to, don't tell me what to do, Grammy. I just want to talk to you. And you know what? He's the one who said it. And I realized he doesn't want, yeah, (laughs) which is what you talk about in your book. Yeah. It was just a perfect example of that. Just listen. I just want you to listen. You don't have to give me the answers. Yes, that's great. And
1: I think that's what's so important is that we often come with our own agendas. So when we see kids who are home from school, we want to know, you know, what are the three things you learned today? Or, you know, who were your friends today? Or things like that. And so we often, that's all well-intentioned, but we often miss those chances when the child really does want to tell you something. Um, And ironically, we can get more information from the child by really focusing on what they're interested in, you know, by actually saying, well, what is it that you want to talk about? Um, Yeah, I see so many parents who ask, you know, how was your day? (laughs) You know, what, what happened today? And, you know, and that's not a bad question, but it's actually really vague and doesn't really give children the opportunity to really talk specifically about, you know, what was important about their days.
0: Yeah. and then we also need the open-ended questions right so that they can we're not just like pinpointing them for an answer you know exactly what grade did you exactly. get and how was your who's your teacher and what class are you in and you know that kind of stuff right you need those open-ended questions um, as well
1: exactly yeah so I talk so much about how kids often have really big ideas and really big feelings and questions that they want to talk about and oftentimes our questions are, Pretty much, you know, those, either whether they're open-ended or closed-ended, are not actually getting at, you know, the depth of their possibilities. So, the strategies that I write about are really intended to help parents stretch kids. So, not just to say, you know, how many were there or what was the grade or, you know, things that kids can answer easily, but really to help kids use talk as a way, sort of a gateway into bigger
0: ideas. As a speech, as a pathologist, as a teacher, a lecturer, what are the, what would you say with, I, I don't know, I'll say the top three issues or conflicts that parents bring to you? I mean, you're going to have parents, obviously, who have a lot of difficulty even without kids, just talking to other adults. That's an issue for mm-hmm. them. So it's really even yeah. m- difficult for them to talk to their kids and others that's not the case. Um, mm-hmm. So are, are there, would you say, that there are maybe three, I'm saying three. What are the major conflicts they that bring to you that that need to be worked on, and um, or are there?
1: Yes, so I would say there definitely. I can identify three main ones, and I would say the first is just that parents often come saying that kids are really shut down. So they'll say, "Well, kids are responding in one-word answers," or. You know, I feel that we've drifted apart, especially as kids get into their preteen and teen years. They feel as if they're really not in sync with their kids and they're not kind of able to have those kind of back-and-forth conversations that they might have used to have. So that's one. Um, And in that case, I really do emphasize um, that presence with the child and seeing, well, what is the child actually interested in and going with that flow. So maybe the child is interested in video games or something like that. So actually asking the child to teach you something, asking you to participate in what the child is doing can be a really helpful way um, into that. And the other two, I would say, are really about confidence. So I see so many kids these days who have a lot of anxiety, who have trouble taking risk, um, you know, trouble with challenges, and so on. And then I guess I would say the third one is really about, (laughs) especially the younger kids, tantrums, you know, emotional outbursts, and parents really oftentimes wanting to talk more in those moments. So they're often saying, well, why can't I talk my child out of a tantrum? And so in those moments, we actually work on not necessarily talking more in those moments, but actually, you know, letting the tantrum (laughs) kind of be with the tantrum, feel those emotions, and then using the talk afterwards as a kind of reflective tool. So um, oftentimes I don't think that talk can happen all the time. So kids need to be regulated enough in order to have that kind of verbal communication.
0: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, trying to talk them out of a tantrum, if you've ever watched a caregiver or parent trying to do that in public, it doesn't work. You have to whisk yeah. them out of the grocery <laughs> store or the restaurant or wherever you took them. And you may have taken them to an inappropriate place. I noticed that as well. It's it, it's the parents, if you want to say fault, not the Child's Mm -hmm. fault because they put them in situations that they can't handle to a restaurant they shouldn't be in necessarily, Mm -hmm. and then they have a meltdown. So, um, yeah, I I often
1: do see that. Yeah, I think one thing. So I would definitely say I see tantrums that are you know sort of the natural, natural result of just being a four-year-old or a three-year-old, but then I do oftentimes see that sort of missing the developmental stage of a child. You know, and saying, oh well, why can't you sit in this line for two hours, or why can't you? sit and be quiet, uh, you know, around the dinner table for 30 minutes. And sometimes kids just can't. So recognizing that and providing alternatives is one really important way to prevent the tantrums rather than waiting until they happen.
0: How does it work in families? Let's you have two children if you have two children or more. And there's a real rapport, an easy rapport. just it comes naturally between the parent and or parents with one kid, but not with the other. And that mm-hmm. sets up, you know you talk about stress in the family and bringing out the best in the kids. How do you do that? Because sometimes I'm assuming that that can be very difficult.
1: Definitely, yes. And I talk about that in the chapter on temperament. And I really start with this idea of helping the parents become intentional. So in the book, I lay out what I call a temperament profile, which is really helping the parents and the child figure out kind of where do we fit on each of these temperamental um, components and then starting to think about, well, where are the matches and mismatches between us? So oftentimes what we see as a problem in a child or even as a problem in an adult is actually just a mismatch between what the child is coming with and what the parent naturally has. So this may be something like activity level. Say the child is naturally very active and very awake in the morning, and the mother is a very slow waker and needs coffee. (laughs) So that's a simple example, but it can lead to, you know, in the morning there's already an argument starting because the child wants to play an active game, the mother wants to take her time, and so this conflict can start already at 7 in the morning. Um, so to avoid those things and actually to figure out how to handle them, it really starts with figuring out, well, who are we in our own temperaments and how are we rubbing up against each other in ways that might not be constructive? And then at that point, you can actually move to thinking, well, what are these changes we can make um, to have sort of a more constructive relationship?
0: Do you think, you said? I think you said you're... Your children are 5 and 10, so there's a five-year difference between the two of them. Um, As a parent, do you think you've evolved and grown? I mean, you've had a lot of experience when you've had five years with one, and then you have another one, like you're adding a whole, lots of new layers, hopefully, (laughs) right? Uh, Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. I do. I definitely think I've evolved, and actually, what was really fun for me is that I wrote this book sort of over the course of several years, and I actually revised it because it's partly a memoir, so it tells about my evolution <laughs> as a parent and my learning as a parent, um, not only trying these strategies, but just raising my children uh, in this family and realizing, oh, what I you know, tried with this one child, now I'm never going to try that because I realized that didn't work at all, or you know, now definitely I'm going to adapt this because my, ch- my second child is very different, actually. Um, And in so many ways, their temperaments are really opposite. And that has actually been a really big learning experience for me as well. And I think I've met many parents with similar, (laughs) similar experiences where they have one child, they think, oh, children are this way. And then, you know, you meet your second child and you realize, oh, actually, children can be entirely opposite. So I found that I've done so much learning
0: because of that difference. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say it's a memoir because I think that's true. And I think that in, uh, you know, looking over, obviously, with your two kids, um, some people, the first child is, they say the easy is easy. And then they get the second mm-hmm. child and they say, oh, it's not so easy or vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, having a mm-hmm. very difficult time with the first one and then the second exactly. one or third. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, birth order has something to do with it as well. And then parents, so let's say if you have two parents or or two partners or whoever with engaging with the kids one may be very much connected to one child or easy to talk to and the other parent is connected to the other child that's some, um, you know and mm-hmm. but finds that's a another uh, family dynamic I think
1: um, exactly yeah and I, I think that's that's great and that's that happens naturally uh, I would say but I also think that sometimes when we get into those patterns we actually miss the fact that the kids want to some switches as well. So it's funny because I spend a lot of time with my daughter um, just because she's, she's 10 and she really has a lot of good questions about kind of these preteen things. And so we, we talk a lot. We go for long walks. Um, and then one time she said to me, well, I really want some time just alone with dad. You know, I feel like we're together all the time, you know. And so I, that was just interesting and instructive to me because I think even though we oftentimes fall into these patterns it's also really helpful to think about, well, maybe have we gone too far? Maybe can we mix it up or balance things? Um, because sometimes kids really do benefit from having whoever's involved in the family from having you know, a range of caregivers to talk with.
0: It's good to, I mean, it's easy to get into a habit that's, that's easy. And uh, mm-hmm. yes, that, that's a that's an excellent point. Actually, a good point to end on because we only have three minutes left and I know you have to leave. So uh, great book, lots of more information than we were able to talk about today, obviously. And, and I've been talking to you, Rebecca Rowland, uh, Doctor of Education, new book, The Art of Talking with Children, The Simple Keys to Nurturing Kindness, Creativity and Confidence in Kids. Give us a website, um, Rebecca, or websites we can go to for more information about the book about you. Yes, you can find
1: me on my website. It's just com. so two C's and two L's. You can also find me on Twitter, which is Rebecca, uh, which is Roland underscore RG, and on Instagram, which is Roland. Great.
0: Great talking to you today. Thank you. Me too. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show.